So first and foremost. I think the the addition of pant leggings is really when you start to see your heroes get watered down. Can't even muster the ability to play straight pants that one. Uh, which is a good argument for absolute rulers. Everybody is going to get behind me. They're going to love me, and my support numbers will go through. When you hang out with the hero, it doesn't go well for you. My grandfather yeah. took the cop and just slid it right through the bar. Okay. And that became the dominant way our family did it. Okay. And so, <laughs> in both of my marriages, they were treated to that. Okay, wait, hold on. Yeah, rage haiku. How do you imagine the rubber chicken My grandmother actually vacuumed in her pearls. Oh my god, it all makes sense. We've had the sexual revolution. It yeah. might have just been a Canadian standoff. We're gonna go back to 9 11. Dude, get over it. Mm-hmm. Nobody understands what the rights are supposed to be. Agra has no business being that <laughs> thick. When the cultists win, we all win. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher uh, here in Northern California. Uh, now uh, doing my job in a hybrid model. Uh, so uh, I have, in fact, quote, gone back to work, end quote, as uh, any number of folks uh, uh, have, have wanted to tell me and, and Damien uh, to do uh, over the last nine months, never mind the fact that we've been working our asses off anyway, we've just been doing it from home. Not that I'm at all bitter about that or anything. How about you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a Latin teacher, something I can probably say for the last time. Uh, coming Sadly. Up yeah. Uh, Sadly. But then I will be a drama teacher, which is, you know, it, it's one of those like, you didn't expect it, but you could see it. Yeah. Moments. Yeah. Know? Well, like, I can, I can, okay. I can see yeah. you actually, you know, giving yourself really the opportunity yeah. to get into dramaturgy. I'm sure you're mm-hmm. going to be, I'll be yeah. great. I'll be yeah. fine. Uh, yeah. I, I have the mentality for such a thing. I have a way of forming a curriculum that builds on itself for the yeah. kids to learn. I have the way of making people feel safe. Uh, but, uh, you know, I started as an historian and then I became a Latinist and now apparently yeah. a dramatist. So, it's it's a weird shift, but you know you, you don't really pick the uh, the places that your life gets led to. Yeah, so much as you pick where you want to go, and yeah. I could spend my time screaming in the wilderness uh, about it, or I could just okay, roll. Here's a new roll path. with it. Yeah, yeah, might as well. Uh, so, but right now I am still a Latin teacher up here in Northern California, uh, and I am teaching my children Latin, which is really, really a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to their lesson this weekend and all this summer, quite honestly. Okay, cool. Be, uh, you know, at least a day, uh, a little bit each day, uh, okay. Latin and they're, they're really digging it. So it's all well, good. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, let's see. Last time we talked about pro wrestling yes and how it had shifted from hulk hogan to uh bret hart in the wwf yes because uh, well you know the steroid scandal and stuff like yeah. that yeah yeah um and how the wcw brand had went and grabbed hulk hogan and a whole bunch of the cast-offs from wwf yeah and then had tried to duplicate what the wwf had done with them but they didn't have production value. they didn't have the production value they didn't quite have the same spark 
Yeah, and, and it was um, very much a tale of uh, just because you have the money doesn't mean you have the understanding of the business itself. Uh, well, yeah, because because of course you know WCW was was being uh, goaded forward by Ted Turner. He was in fact the only one in his own organization who supported WCW. <laughs> All of his people <laughs> under him like hated it. Yeah, but for the people that he put in charge of it, and yeah. and also keep in mind that in the mid nineteen nineties. All of these businesses finally hit the rock bottom. No pun intended, because that will yeah. come a couple years later. Um, finally hit the rock bottom that they had been tailing toward since about '92. Um, okay. So, so it it's almost like wrestling is a trailing indicator of the economy. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. okay. So so when we're talking about like the t- the point in time we've gotten to right now mm-hmm. is '90 what. Oh, like where where are I we talking about? Hovering around ninety five. Ninety five. But I'm okay. gonna go back to the ninety. You know. Okay. I, again, I, I I brought us forward with wrestling. Yeah. I'm gonna put a pin in ninety five, and then I'm gonna go back gonna, and grab okay. comic books, which is what okay, I'm which is okay with today. Yeah. Okay. So so, but I but I wanna I wanna kind of kind of place that because sure. you, you talk about wrestling wrestling being a trailing indicator. Yeah, it seems to be for the economy. Now, yeah. ninety five was, uh, the uh middle of clinton's tenure mm-hmm. okay yeah i mean it's and toward 90- the tail end of his first term but yeah yeah okay I mean, things are humming along the economy is going okay yeah he's really picked it back up yeah i'm going to give credit where it's due usually the president's um first term is left handling what the last president did yeah uh a lot of the things that clinton was able to take advantage of and don't get me wrong he pushed them into a better oh, yeah. direction. Yeah. But economically, a lot of things he was able to take advantage of had begun happening under Bush. Yeah. Well, yeah. Largely due to a Democratic Congress, though. Yeah. Well, largely Bush due signed to signed off on it. Did, lar- largely yeah. due to Democratic Congress mm-hmm. and the fact that uh, Bush Senior mm-hmm. uh, actually listened to his advisors. Right. And said, you know, I, I know it was a campaign promise, and I know it's going to piss my base off to the point of like. Hermitile, yeah. incoherent, like frothing at the mouth rage. Mm-hmm. But you know, Greenspan says I got to raise taxes. Got to raise taxes. I got to raise taxes. Well, you can't like have because a war without raising taxes. Well, like, we, what kind of moron I mean, would try I mean, that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, his son. Um, and yeah. So uh, it's so funny because like, moron John Adams was an incredible jurist. Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, you know, I Medi- he, kept, Medi- he focused he was, on keeping us out of a war. Yeah, he was. I, I would I would solidly say that Adams was a mediocre president. And yes. He suffers in the historical record because he followed the very first guy to do the job mm-hmm. who winds up getting placed, he does placed on a precedent. pedestal. Yeah, yeah. Everything he does sets a president. So the second guy is automatically going to have huge shoes to fill. And Adams was very competent, was mm-hmm. very responsible, I think was rather statesmanlike. Yes. But he's not a personality. Also kept America out of the war, though. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, he really did. And he really did. He and there were for that. He, yes. Know. Well, but historically, his, he yeah. gets credit for it. But right. at the time, there was right. a significant number of people, at least within America's political class, who mm-hmm. were like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Get him. Get him. Yeah. You know, those were Southerners. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, but, uh, yes. My point yes. is that Adams was a really good jurist and his son was, I dare say, an even better jurist and an oh, yeah. even more able statesman 
who suffered from some of the same problems. Yes. Uh, it's a shame that they were fuddy duddies. Both y- of them. They really were. They were wonks. They were yeah, truly yeah. Wonks. Well, yeah. They were. They were. They were the 18th century and yeah. early 19th century's version of, of what today we call technocrats. Yes. They were. They were experts in their field. They. They mm-hmm. knew how to do the job. Yep. But they didn't have. Fill the room personalities. You're right. Yeah. And they were up against a, a southern block, essentially. Well, yeah. I, yeah. Um, and a rural block in the north. So so I'm just bringing up that John Adams was, in many ways, uh, you know. He we, was the anti-W. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, well, I, kinda, the, the I think I kind of see where you're going. The relationship between John Adams and John Quincy Adams yeah. is, is inverted by the relationship between George Bush and and George W. Bush. H.W. Well, H.W. and then and W. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the, H.W. and then W. You, yeah. you had a man who was, and again, you and I somewhat disagree on, on H.W. because I, I put a lot of things at his feet. But yeah. I do think he was a solidly, here's where we agree. I do think that he wanted to be a decent man. Yes. Um, And he did stand on some principles. I'm not yes. going to say all, but I, yeah. some. Okay. Um, But his son... uh was just the wish version of him. (laughs) 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 I love that analogy. Yeah. His son, the thing is, the thing is, as, as we've discussed before within the Republican party, there were always these two wings. Yeah. And, and the father and son in, in the Bush semi dynasty, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. um, represent the two wings of the Republican party. Very true. Uh, the senior was old New England, tradition. you know, Puritan main mainstream yeah. mainstream Christian, yeah, tradition Yankee. tradition Ultimately very Yankee. very Yankee, yeah, and and you know the idea that you get into public service after you have done what you're going to do, right? You get into public service as your way of fulfilling your responsibility. Noblesse oblige. Noblesse oblige, patrician kind of ideal. You're still going to enrich your friends. You're still going to enrich your friends. But, but, yes. but, okay. but you know, you're going to... Corpor- the, the Rockefeller Republicans. Yeah, yes, yes. precisely. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> whereas the, the younger son, of course, got his big break into politics as governor of Texas. Right which was a Confederate state. Yep. And so he was emblematic of being, being himself the scion of a very wealthy Mm -hmm. family. He's like the poster child for Southern and Southwestern Sunbelt Republicanism, which is built around the legacy of the planter class, which is, well, I'm the second son of nobility. There's nothing for oh me here God. in the old he country. Is the second son, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Never I'm the second son. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, I okay. mean, it's, it's yeah. too perfect. Like, yeah. if you wrote this, somebody would send it back. Somebody would no, be no, like, no, 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 no. It's not believable. Yeah. But the, you know, second sons of the nobility came over here and was like, well, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I'm entitled. Gonna, I'm, I'm, yep. I am literally entitled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, or I would be if I wasn't the second child. Right. And so, you know, I, but, but I'm, I'm to the manor born. And freedom to me means I get to do whatever I want to with my property. Right. Right. And, and that's the be all end all. And, and that's the seed from which we get like literally yeah. everything that's wrong with well, the wing nuts will, in the Republican I party. Now add a couple pieces to that to just, uh, you know, yeah. uh, also flesh he, it out a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Uh, he, he was the, he was the Reagan version of Bush. 
Oh, dumb okay. and charismatic. <laughs> yeah, but but cunning. Yeah. cunning, cunningly yeah. dumb. Yeah, and charismatic and a phony, a goddamn phony. I'm gonna go all Holden Caulfield. Uh, okay, on yeah, every right, time. yeah. Uh, but uh, he was he was that. So had that far western entitlement to the property, like yeah, you yeah. said. Yeah, uh, it just occurred to me he owned a baseball team. Yes, which means he owned a large field on which brown and black people worked for him. Yes. And they were called the Texas Rangers. A yes. That was named after people who went off and just killed willy nilly to expand white presence. Yes. In tech. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And we went for that. The parallels. The only yeah. thing that would be worse is if like we went for like, a, a, I don't know, a hack real estate developer yeah. con man who, who was so odious that they gave him a show because, Hey, let's watch. Let's, let's watch this guy. Let's, let's watch this guy be awful to, yeah. to people that like, we don't really like to begin with. Yeah. It'd be, yeah. Like, imagine if we elected that or if we elected Donald Trump, I was talking about Ronald Reagan. Uh, so <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, nicely done. Okay. So nicely done. I, 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 I will completely forever. got me yeah, on that one. I will one. forever right. have, more enmity toward reagan because of his connection to phyllis schlafly because of his yanking the republicans away from the unreasonable right already that nixon re- represented <laughs> and she the autocratic the, yes. right yeah um but at least at, uh yeah. was the president the president yeah, can't was, break the law right but at least yeah. he was like trying to say well we should probably expand our message or we're going to lose voters Whereas yeah phyllis schlafly was like no we we could just like <laughs> double segregate. double down yeah. on yeah which seemed to be the play every time but also reagan used to again he used to he recorded records as to why communism and unions were bad and then yeah. he would bring them to parties and play them at parties now i don't know what parties were like in the 30s and 40s and 50s but i can't imagine that that was a good move Oh, are you kidding? He he, you know, he drowned in trim, yeah, dude. Like no, yeah, just total the babes. panty drop right yeah. there. So. Yeah. All right. So anyway, comic books in the circles in which he ran. Anyway, yeah, well, that was yeah. the thing. But okay, yeah, comic books. Comic books. Yeah. Okay. In the nineties, we're getting off the subject. Yeah, we never got to the. Yeah. Subject. Well, no, I mean, it's we, true. Yeah. But now we are. That so. train has sailed. Uh. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, comic books also a trailing indicator. They were wobbling in 1995, and there's a huge parallel between comic books and professional wrestling. Uh, the colors uh, being a big yeah. part, oversized okay. personalities, yeah, and the fact that they melodrama, both, yeah, and the fact that they both almost completely went bankrupt in 1995. Was it almost? I I vaguely remember DC or Marvel having to reorganize, having. Mm. I only found that they. I, I never found chapter eleven. There might okay. be a different chapter. But okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but they took such a body blow that they were damn near uh, bankrupt. Okay. WWF, for instance, almost went bankrupt too. They stopped having water service, like not water from the tap, but like water coolers. They're oh like, wow! Let's cut that cost. Now it's a big building. It's like four or five stories. That is a lot of water coolers. That's okay. Multi thousand contract. But that's a that's a hell of a thing. Yeah. Like when, you know, 
WCW had less of a problem because of Ted Turner uh, infusing it with cash. Exactly. Yeah. And at that time, he is ascendant. The 24-hour news cycle. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. no. Because he'd, he'd started his rise yeah. in the 80s right. with, with the foundation of CNN. Right. Which everybody had been like, what the fuck are right. you going to do? And he owned. With a 24-hour news. Like, right. who's going to watch the news at 3 o'clock in the morning? And what are you going to do? Uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Yes. So, so here you've got a guy who. And the Atlanta Braves, I think, at one point. Yeah. Uh, so here you've got a guy. I had forgotten he'd owned the Hawks. Yeah. I knew he owned the Braves. Yeah. Here you've got a guy who essentially can rob Paul to pay Peter, and it's okay because they're all his. Yeah. So he can keep WCW afloat. It can be the lost leader. I mean, it can be Yeah. It can be the rotisserie chicken at Costco. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, which I there was a funny story I read recently about the the owner or the CEO of Costco. And they're like, you know, we need to raise prices on the hot dogs. He's like, you do that, and I will kill you. <laughs> well, yeah, because a buck fifty is a buck fifty. A buck fifty is a buck fifty. Yeah, you know. Oh and yeah. So, well, yeah. It, it's 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 one of it. It is a signature thing. Exactly. For their brand. Exactly. If you, I mean, no, you can't. You cannot do you can't that. Raise that. Yeah. Yeah. So comic books had no such patron media deity. Now, in 1990, we're going to come back a little bit. In 1990, right. the awful crossover annual series called Days of Future Present started. Now, there had been oh, Days of man. Future Past. Yeah. But this was Days of Future Present. This was 1990. And it crossed over in Marvel across um, the Mutant annuals plus the right. Fantastic Four annual. Yeah. And and however, however, the creative lack that it displayed would show up again and again despite it only being restricted to the annuals. Um, it wasn't good. Uh, a friend of mine drew on it, actually. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, it was kind of cool. Um, okay. But it's a pity. Yeah. It's such an awful story. In 1991, though, Marvel did the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah. Now, this was a huge crossover success, uh, and it was it, it was happening just as the collector boom was increasing, and I think this is what led to the collapse in 95. Yeah. The collector okay. boom itself is a hell of an indicator as to the reliability and stability of an economy, by the way. Uh, it's kind of like uh, when you see yeah, okay. an increase of buy gold commercials, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know you're, the economy is going to take a shit. Yeah. Um, you know that people's housing is going to cost a lot uh, yeah. less all of a sudden. Um, so uh, same thing because, I mean, you're literally putting your money into something real. Gold, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. this was comic books. That's also something real. <laughs> Which yeah. if you store it right, it will retain and then increase yeah. the value. That was the hope that happened with baseball cards, um, and and that that was the prediction. Um, it it wasn't uh, stable in the early nineties, and we, oh, we talked no. about that. God, as no, there were having huge... a massive impact on the homeless population in Santa Monica, which is what led to the writers in the mid nineties of Deep Space Nine. Yes, right. So, the Infinity Gauntlet benefited from this, though. Because it was a six series limited run, so a lot of people bought them up. And issue four was amazing because it's all the heroes taking on Thanos, which is basically what we saw in the movies. Yeah, with a few exceptions. Although there are some spots that are shot for shot, and I've shown my kids. I'm like, by the way, Hulk is Silver Surfer here. Remember how he crashes through the thing? Thanos is coming. That's Silver Surfer in issue one, and then the um, Cap versus uh, Thanos. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, now there's differences as well, but like what he did to Drax and to Mantis in the Infinity War, yeah, movie, uh, he did that to um, 
uh, Wolverine and to Nova in the comic in the okay. Infinity Gauntlet. So uh, Infinity Gauntlet benefits from this. Also, every single title had to. It was a mandate that it had to have a crossover with Infinity. One issue had to cross over with Infinity Gauntlet. Oh wow! Yeah, it was it was it was crazy. Their yeah. whole mm-hmm. publishing line, everything is all to support okay. this thing. Now, this set a false premise to for years to come, um, that this success could be replicated, that the crossover uh, okay. was the salvation. The, the, the key, the key was the fact that mm-hmm. okay, so what we did was we we linked everything together, right. And that's and that's the reason we made money on this, right? When no, that's part. That's but that's that's, that's nowhere a, near that, the important part. Yeah, yeah. Turns out there was a collector boom at that same time. Now in 1992, Marvel lost a ton of talent because a lot of those authors and writers and artists went to form Image Comics. Yeah. Now I have friends who love Image Comics. I I confess I am as mainstream as a guy gets, so I never got into Image. Um, I'm sure I would love it now as an adult, but uh, well, you know. all right. I'm I'm gonna say this as as a luddite. Um, I never got into Image because I felt like a lot of Image titles were trying really hard to be edgy. I think I don't know if they were trying so much as they weren't restricted by Marvel. Okay. Anymore. It was these artists finally getting to write art that they wanted. Okay. And I think that sometimes, you know, it's kind of like when you finally let out a fart and then you're like, oh, I might have pooped myself a little. You yeah. Know, yeah. Saying, okay. You know? Yeah. No, I get it. So, but, but you know. like, like now, now we look back on the decade of the 90s mm-hmm. and we make fun of, you know, extreme right. everything. Yes. And and like on TV trips, they they refer to this this period as as the Bronze Age of comics, yes. where everything had to turn into being you know gritty, gritty and yeah, yeah. dark, and and I just like to me as a teenager, it was mm-hmm. a turnoff, and with everything that has happened in the world since, mm-hmm. it's still a turnoff. No, I I, I get you, know? you and, and that's and, and and all I'm and all yeah. I'm saying is that's my personal yeah. And I don't disagree Taste, with, bias, whatever you want to call your take it, on it yeah. honestly, because I also get real tired real quick of gritty. And yeah. I'm going to talk about gritty pretty okay. soon. Okay, all right. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, I don't think they were trying to be gritty so much as they were rolling along in the zeitgeist, and the zeitgeist okay. was getting gritty. Was that way. Um, all right. So, That's uh, fair. Now, Image Comics forms at a time when the economic recession was really hampering luxury spending. So right as they leave people stopped spending so much on on comic books right and distribution companies didn't help either because uh they they also scaled back so but it's not like marvel was alone in losing people and treating people shittily dc ran into a similar problem and they both seemed to be suffering from problematic business models through the 1970s coming close to bankruptcy multiple times within the 1970s and the thing is, yeah. their their uh, fix wasn't really a fix. It just delayed it. The reason is because they got enough of a shot in the arm by speculator markets, and uh, which started in the mid to late 1980s. Now, I blame that one episode of Amazing Stories that had Mark Hamill in it, uh, where he meets a, 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 you know, as a young man, he's waxing his car and he meets this goblin or gremlin uh, he says, I'll, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give you wisdom. He says, okay, I don't, uh, he says, uh, I'll grant you a wish or something. to Okay. That. He says, well, I don't ever want to work. He says, don't throw anything away ever. And so Mark Hamill 
grows into an old man and he's living in a shack and he's poor as shit and he's just hoarding everything. And uh, then one day he's going to get gas uh, and he goes to pay for it with a collection of pennies that he had. And then two guys happen along and they're like, oh my God, this is the first issue of Superman. Uh, okay. So I, I tongue in cheek blame that episode. Yeah, Clearly the but, problem reaches back a lot farther. But yeah. either way, the speculator markets beefed up comic book sales all the way through the uh, early 90s until the bubble completely burst in 1993. Yes. Okay. So neither DC nor Marvel had to innovate in order to stay alive because the problems that they had in the 70s were solved by speculation, keeping things artificially inflated. Okay. And their flawed and ultimately uncorking business model continued uh, well beyond its drop-dead date, bringing with it uh, the end of a lot of uh, comic books and, frankly, a lot of creative panic and creative instability. Okay. Now, by the 1990s, while there had been plenty of anti-heroes that were introduced in the 1970s, because, of course, they were introduced in the 70s. Well, yeah. And the 80s. The 70s. Right. Yeah, okay. They also seem to have gained a tremendous foothold in the 90s. Now, here's a short list. The Punisher. He starts in 74. Yeah. But he got his first standalone in 87. Okay. Now, I know this doesn't really fit the mold, but it does run straight through 1995. Okay. His second title started in 89. I know that that's not technically the 90s, but, you know. It's, historically yeah. speaking, it's close enough to And count. that also ran until 95. Punisher Warzone, his third title at, at 1992. Uh, so you've got three titles that are running simultaneously of the Punisher. Now, Spider-Man had four titles running, but you have the Punisher, who's not a good guy, yeah. running from 92 to 95. Okay. Again, all three die in 95, and it's very much a 1990s comic. Gambit gets his first appearance in 1990. Deadpool gets his first appearance in 91. X-Force, which is the anti-hero version of X-Men, and they don't yeah. have any feet. Yeah, um, because Lee Field. Yeah, uh, yeah. 91. Okay. Uh, Blade and Ghost Rider. Now, both were 70s characters, yes. but they got a shot in the arm in the 90s. Blade got his own run from 94 to 95. I didn't know that before I started Okay. It. Wolverine got his own standalone starting in 88. Yeah. But it ran through 2003, and it was a mainstay of the 90s. Oh, yeah. Venom even got his own series in the 90s. Yeah. Uh, DC did a lot of leather jackets and updates for their heroes. Oh, my God. Remember Superboy? Oh, God. <laughs> but occasionally, they'd also have a 90s replacement, like Artemis. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suicide Squad skipped the 90s entirely, interestingly enough. Wait. Uh, yeah. Wait, I was wait, shocked to find that. Wait. Too. No. Yeah. yeah. They really? Did not, Suicide Squad did not exist as a comic in the 90s at all that I could find. I find that so hard to believe. It was a little off brand. I was okay. like. Okay. You know, confirmation bias did not did not win out for wow. me that day. Yeah. Uh, even Lobo, which was supposed to be a parody of grim and gritty antiheroes ended up with an enthusiastic following and run in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, and... and No, he didn't get his own. No? No, we're talking about Grim Heroes, not Grim the Hero. Oh, so nice. the Thing did nice. not get the his. The Thing, yeah, yeah very no. good. Well Thank done. You. Thank well you. Well done. Superman died in 92, by the way. I was going to ask about that. Yes. Because I vividly remember... Mm -hmm. uh, I, I wound up... Uh, the following Comic-Con. 
mm-hmm. San Diego Comic Con, yeah. 93. Yes. Because you mentioned Lobo. And you graduated in 93. I did graduate in San Diego. Yes. And so then, it was my hometown con. Yeah. It was It was not yeah. It was not the, the all of pop culture become. juggernaut yeah. that it is now. It was It was big, but my, it was not ridiculous. It wasn't Hodge. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law. Yeah, uh, when they first got married, they vacation, they they honeymooned in San Diego, and they're like, "What do you want to do today? Oh, let's go check it out." Now that was 2006, and they still could just walk right up. Oh yeah, and yeah. buy tickets at the door. Yes, but anyway, good so, good luck trying that yeah, no now. Kidding. Let me well, tell you. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I remember because you were talking about Lobo, and in in '93 mm-hmm. at Comic Con. Uh, Lobo came yeah. to Comic Con as the as the mm. every every year, right? Uh, at least back then, I haven't been in forever, but but every year you got somebody, somebody they, they invited one of the guests of honor for the con to say, give us give us a story this year that'll be the the convention oh, comic cool. book, and it was a Lobo comic, uh, and and the story was the story starts mm-hmm. with Lobo hanging out in a bar because it's Lobo. He finishes reading the death of Superman. Okay. The comic. Right. And he winds up laughing so hard. He beats the comic against the, the, the table so hard. He destroys it. Of course. And so he goes to comic con to find another one. (laughs) And, and it was an in joke parody about the entire industry. Yes. And it was so completely over the top. Yes. Like he literally, crashes his space hog right his into the convention chopper, yeah. center like and limbs like <laughs> yeah. like gleefully illustrated yeah, yeah. like severed limbs and eyeballs flying in all sure. directions and uh he goes to artist alley mm-hmm. and and is you know sitting there as as guys are coming up you know to get their portfolios reviewed right and he goes oh no your anatomy's all wrong grabs somebody else out of the crowd, throws him across the table, gets out a knife and like, and vivisects the guy going, see, all right, see here, you got your, you got your skin layer and then you got your surface musculature. And, and I mean, it was, it was absolutely amazing. And, and so, so the thing is the authors never lost sight of the fact that they were, that they were writing a parody and yes. I think an awful lot of the fans didn't lose sight of the fact that they were writing a parody. I don't think it avoided Poe's law right. I entirely. Think, I think what we have is a go robo moment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, forever we'll yeah. call it that from yeah. now on. So. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah you're right. No, you're it, right. It, yeah. And 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 the death of Superman uh-huh. was this this amazing moment where as somebody who was peripherally a comic mm-hmm. book fan mm-hmm. at the time i was i was never as a kid i was never like big into comics as a thing but i was close enough to enough people who were sure that that i witnessed at the time the real time conversation that was going on amongst comic book fans uh-huh. and people in the industry mm-hmm. about the event of the death of superman yeah as an event. Yes, and it was an event. It was a huge event. Yes. And the backing and forth thing about, look what this is doing to the art form. Yep. We have how many different covers right. were there 
for that issue. And it was, this doesn't have anything to do with the story. Right. This doesn't have anything to do with the character of Superman or the legacy or mm-hmm. any of that. This is all about, we want to generate as many different versions of this comic book yep. as we can. Absolutely. So that we can feed into collectors and speculation. Like, go. like we're going to have like X-ray, yeah. you know, platinum hologram, weird yeah. hologram. That's what I was looking for. Hologram yeah. covers and yep. six different artists being involved in different versions of the thing. Because yeah. they because they had a business model that didn't work. Yeah. And this was how they were keeping it alive. So they, they and, were. And a, it was yeah. and it was an obvious ploy, like to mm-hmm. everybody who was watching it. That's that's the part that gets me is you talk about they like they they collapsed yes and the thing is they knew Mm -hmm. that what they were doing everybody could see it like it wasn't it wasn't a well you know we're gonna do this and it's gonna work it was well what the fuck do we do well this is one of the reasons why they start cutting staff is one of the reasons why ultimately your artists uh form their own brand yeah like this so, also, I, I will point out, though, that I listed a bunch of antiheroes. Yes. And all of this casting about for antiheroes tells us that things are in a state of flux. There is a reaction to what's going on. The old way isn't working. This is a postmodern reaction to the deconstructed lies of prior eras. That's one okay. of the reasons that this is happening. It's also a desperate trend designed to get those sweet, sweet ennui dollars. <laughs> And by and large, it doesn't really work. And sure, the comics were successful at the time, but the whole industry was flagging really hard. Oh, yeah. So much so that in 1996, DC and Marvel had an official crossover, which then led to an amalgam universe between the two for a while that did not see the year's end. In 1996, we also saw the onslaught, which is when the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers all joined up. So now you're buying their comics for the crossover stuff. Yeah. The Crossing, where Tony Stark died again, uh, was in 95. And while we're at it, Doctor Doom died twice in 1993. Wonder Woman died at one point, uh, I think while she was wearing her leather jacket. Hal Jordan died in 1994. <laughs> Lex Luthor died uh, twice. Green yeah. Arrow died. Even Aunt May died. And that wasn't even the Nadir creativity. Uh, creativity-wise. Create, creatively? There creatively. We go. Yes. Yeah. That came, I think, with the Peter Parker clone saga. Spider-Man had four titles running concurrently by 1994, and this was Marvel's way of making sure that nobody would like any of them. So creatively, they're swinging for the fences more and more, and when you swing for the fences, you get a lot fewer hits. And all of this is in response to the very real economic, social, and creative pressures that art was facing in the mid-1990s. Now, okay. All of this will finally get us to Philadelphia. Not, I didn't realize we were going. Yes, we're going to, to Philadelphia. Phil- okay. Because Philadelphia is what starts Eastern Championship Wrestling. Eastern Championship Wrestling then becomes Extreme Championship Wrestling. Uh, and buckle in because I'm going to hit you in the head okay. with a frying pan. Because uh, <laughs> that's one of the weapons they use. So, okay. Philadelphia has a really weird relationship with sports. Uh, for <laughs> Philadelphia is kind of a crazy city. It is. Like, like... For, for its name, there's an awful lot of hate. In 1968, they booed Santa Claus. Yes. It wasn't even that they booed him that was really... I mean, that's fucking weird. They threw <laughs> snowballs and batteries at him. 
batteries. They threw batteries. That's the at part them. that I always don't get. Like, why? Right. What? What is it about? Like, is it because they're, they're easy? They're, they're heavy. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know. So, so they also. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I just I want to I want to take everybody in the audience back a few months. Okay. To January. Okay. When uh, votes were being counted. Yes. And uh, it was it was in Philadelphia mm-hmm. in in specific, the state of Pennsylvania was was one of the places that was that was turning into, you know, going to be is this going to be a flashpoint? Right. There was a lot of talk in, you know, conservative Twitter and mm-hmm. in, in the red sphere of the Internet about, well, we're, we're going to go to we're going to go to Philadelphia. We're going to make sure to, you know, make sure this that's you right. Know, Trump. And and I was struck by how immediate and harsh the laughter was. Yes. From everybody in Philadelphia yes. about No, no, you don't understand. Yeah. We're the town that booed Santa Claus. Right. Right. Like, I remember. Like, That's right. We, then you had the Philly mascot. Yeah. 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 We're going <laughs> if you show up, we don't care what yeah. color your hat is. We don't care what kind of gun you bring. No, no. We will fuck you up yeah, yeah. and we will enjoy doing it. Yes. Like we're, it's going to be fun. Like they have to grease the light poles yes. when we win yeah, yeah. a championship <laughs> title. The they but, officially yes. grease light poles. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Like they so. have a court in the stadium where the Eagles play. They have an actual court like like with a judge and a bailiff and a holding pen and they that is a district so yeah yeah because because eagles fans are yeah in 1983 those same eagles fans beat the shit out of the mascot for the washington redskins now that was that was during the game fuck me after the game they beat him up again in the parking lot and they broke his leg yes they're oh, famous. They're famous for lighting quarters or, or like heating up quarters and throwing them on the ice for Philadelphia Flyers games for hockey. Jesus Christ, these people are barbarians. Yeah. And the way, by the way, the the owners of the Flyers are some of the shittiest people that have ever, ever existed. So it's yeah, just really uh, weird. Uh, match. Okay, yeah. But they're also some of the most knowledgeable fans in sports fandom. So imagine what this does for Philadelphia wrestling fans. <laughs> Good oh Lord. my God. Okay. So, yeah. Now, by the way, remember, Bill Clinton is the first boomer president in 92. There's a yes. huge backlash by those who were used to being in power and extreme cultural reaction at the same time, be it racial, sexual, or simply generational. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Order versus chaos. Okay. 1994 comes and you've got the midterm elections after 40 years of the House being Democrats and yeah. after 58 years of the House being Democrats with only 10 years going the other way. Both houses were now clearly in Republican control. Yes. This is a massive political upheaval in the oh, yeah. middle of a massive cultural upheaval during a massive economic upheaval. Nothing is stable. Everything is breaking convention. Well, and okay. And and on the world stage, mm-hmm. uh, by this time in the Clinton presidency, we are looking at uh, the Balkans War. No, no, no. No, no, no. So I'm in 94. 94. The Balkans War. You're talking the bombing of Yugoslavia and all that? Yeah. That was 99. That 99. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. But but NAFTA, we but though. we do yeah. okay NAFTA mm-hmm. we do have uh, the dissolution of the Soviet Union yeah it was a few years prior yeah, yeah. but and I mean and 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 our 
position as one pole yes. of a when the other of, one a, fell of off. a bipolar world, yep. we're, we're still wobbling about like, okay, do we now become the unipolar power? Right. Do we like what what is this what does it's, this mean? It's that moment of is this is this hegemony? Yeah. You know, yeah. Now it's no wonder that nostalgia collectors yeah. uh, was really popular on a massive scale. Uh you remember nineteen ninety four was also the year Force Gump Gump came out. Mm, which was a movie yeah. that made tons of apologies for racism uh, and whitewashed and lampooned the activism of brown people and black people in the 60s. And it yeah. was told through the simple eyes of a very problematic character. Yes. Who in the book had a huge dick, by the way. Uh, good times. Okay. White boomers and later reaction to change. Uh, and you have commercialized myth-building nostalgia. Okay, yeah. Remember Woodstock? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In 1994, baby. The 25th anniversary. And oh, yeah. That was, so let's commercialize the hell out of it. But to be honest, Woodstock itself was commercialized from the get-go. Yeah. But uh, Woodstock 94 was such a different beast from 69. It was promoted as, quote, two more days of peace and music. So thoroughly derivative. That yeah. That is so thoroughly driven by nostalgia. And the 25th anniversary well, of Woodstock. Well, it was plastered with corporate logos. Yes. From the, like, Pepsi was. Yes. Like, I remember the images. Yes. Of, of... With the bird on the thing. Yeah. It was a very capitalist, opportunistic vibe. Uh, that vibe was missing, however. Um, well, it was missing. However, it was also ever-present um, uh, in, in the original from it was missing from the public consciousness even though yeah, the guys well, yeah. who started it were trying to make a ton of money well yeah um but the weather you know men plan the weather yeah well you know, yeah yeah the weather was having none of it the rains brought a ton of mud with them and the whole affair was a dark carnival version of its historical antecedent oh yeah and it's really interesting to read about but what I remember the most was the mud-covered performance by Nine Inch Nails, as well as the audience throwing mud at Primus when they sang "My Name Is Mud." Yeah. So you've got nostalgia, big deal. Right? Yeah. And you've huge got, big deal. Now let's go back to Philadelphia. So ECW, right. Eastern Championship Wrestling, was born out of Tri-State Wrestling Alliance and the NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling combining. You remember the territory? Yeah, yeah, system, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, so yeah. This yeah. is one of the territories in 1992. All right. It all combined to shorten to Eastern Championship Wrestling. Okay. In April of 93, this particular promotion got TV time semi-locally. Now, if you get TV time in Philly, that's a pretty big region. Okay. okay? Yeah. And a few months later, Paul Heyman, who formerly had been known in WCW and the AWA as Paul E. Dangerously, and his whole thing was he is a <laughs> slick New York corporate guy with a with a giant phone the size of it was a brick phone era. Oh, okay, yeah. And that was the yeah. prop that he would hit people over the head with. Like Jimmy Hart had a megaphone. Yeah, he had this thing, and it did just as much damage. Okay, because it was a giant wood. My God, era. yeah. So uh, Paul Heyman joins the promotion and becomes a booker because he just lost his job at WCW. Okay. So Booker is the person who handles the storylines, sets up the matches, stuff like that. Okay. So at this time, the NWA was... Yes. Okay, so wait. Mm -hmm. So his title is Booker. Yes. But as the guy who's responsible for storylines, is kind of a creative director. Yeah, I mean, a Booker is a creative director. Okay, yeah. all right. I just, the, you know... The Booker would say, okay, this is where we want the match to... The final blow-off, that's what it's called. This is okay. what we want it to be. And to get to there, we need to get to here. And to get to here, we need to get to here. And to get to here, we need to get to here. And to get to here, we need to get to here. Okay. Now you two guys go out and make that happen. Okay. So he 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 is the he's the high level yeah high level plot line guy. 
Yeah, I mean, okay. he basically, he is giving the wrestlers the skeleton. They flesh it out with their matches. Okay. And with their promos. Okay. okay. Now, at this time, NWA is on its very last legs, as as will happen a lot. The NWA, as you might remember, was the National Wrestling Alliance, which yes. had been founded in 1948 by a bunch of bookers throughout the United States. By the 1980s, Vince McMahon had driven most of the member territories out of business, or he had bought them out. Yeah. And he would do so with a balloon payment. He says, look, I will pay you um, a little bit now and a little bit and a little bit and, a, you know, and on and on. Yeah. And if I don't make the full payment for you, you get to keep all the money I've given you. And then he would just concentrate on that and he would steal their stars. So the largest remaining promotion was WCW in the NWA. Yeah. And it left in 93. So now nowadays, if you hear about the NWA, it's had a resurgence. It's its own promotion. And the reason why is because it's licensed out its name to other promotions in the 2000s. That's how it stayed okay. pseudo-relevant. Uh, okay. All right. But previously, it had been a fairly hallowed organization. Uh, but by 93, it was a hollowed organization. Oh, uh, nice. Thank nice. you. Thank you. By yeah. 94, the non-compete clause that Jim Crockett... Okay, Jim Crockett was the guy in charge of Jim Crockett Productions, which was based out of Georgia prior to Ted Turner's takeover, which is a pretty big deal in the wrestling world. Um, he had signed a non-compete clause with uh, Ted Turner when he sold his Georgia promotion to WCW. Okay. So WCW had the NWA championship for a while. And yeah. then eventually uh, he had a clause that, that finally led up in 94. So okay. now he gets to use the NWA's name, the NWA title again. Okay. okay. All right. Cool, cool. So uh, he, being Jim Crockett, wanted to revive the brand of NWA. Now, it was kind of a dead brand. Old promoters. This, they always go back to the same old thing, right? <laughs> okay. So he contacts, he being uh, uh, t uh, Jim Crockett, he contacts a guy named Todd Gordon. Todd Gordon is the guy who's also in charge of Eastern Championship Wrestling. He's the other guy. So okay. He brought in Paul Heyman to be his booker. Got okay, it. So you've got the promoter, okay. and that's Todd yeah. Gordon, and you've got the booker. Okay. Okay. Uh, the president of NWA did not trust Crockett and Gordon uh, combined to share the championship and uh, and send the champion around to all the other asphyxiated territories. Yeah. In fairness, Crockett did tend to monopolize the NWA title because he had Ric Flair through much of the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, okay. That so make, this, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Now, this distrust that uh, that was inherent in the NWA was sometimes why Luthez ended up with the belt from the 40s through the 50s. Because they couldn't trust each other, so they're like, well, just put it on, on, on Lou. <laughs> He'll do the right okay. thing, and he's a good enough uh, shooter that no one can take liberties with him. Okay. So Crockett wants Gordon to host a tournament for the championship to crown the NWA new champion. Okay. So the president of NWA, whose name was Dennis Coraluzzo, made sure that he personally oversaw the tournament in Philly. So he's there kind of stepping on Todd Gordon's toes. And Todd Gordon and uh, Paul Heyman are wanting their own creative freedom. But Coraluzzo is like, well, you know, I think, you know, he's kind of he's the boss who shouldn't show up. Yeah. So this antagonism lit the match under Gordon to do something drastic with the title. Kind of like, well, fuck you. If you're going to be here, I'm going to go Philly on you. <laughs> uh, enter Shane Douglas. Do you know that name? It sounds oddly familiar. Yeah. Now, Shane Douglas was trained by Dominic DiNucci, a local Pittsburgh, Philly, 
East Coast Italian wrestler who uh, did a pretty good job when he was uh, he was there. He was the guy who would often fight the champion. Okay. Or, or he would be the guy before you get to the champion. Uh, he's the same guy who trained Cactus Jack, whom you'd probably know as Mick Foley. Oh, now, okay. Shane Douglas was a traditionalist who'd gotten a series of bad opportunities uh, that he floundered through both the WWF and the WCW. In the WCW, he was part of the Dynamic Dudes, alongside a guy named John Laurinaitis, who you might know as Johnny Ace. And if you don't, that's okay, because he was big in Japan. But his brother you'd know, his brother's name was Animal. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So the Dynamic Dudes was not a good gimmick. It was two white blonde guys running to the ring carrying skateboards that neither knew how to use. Wow. Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. Didn't that... go well. Yeah, like a lead uh, balloon. Yeah. All right. Uh, his second run in the WWF, he was known as Dean Douglas, uh, a heel who was a college professor because Shane Douglas had gone to college and Vince McMahon likes to do occupation-based gimmicks in the mid-90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'd ask yeah. you, like, what would you use to do? Well, I, I was a trash uh, I was a trash guy. Great. Duke the drum, Dumpster Drozy. You're going to be a trash man now. <laughs> what'd you used to do well, i was a hockey player you're gonna be the goon god damn it <laughs> what'd you used to do well i was a post-apocalyptic warrior yeah yeah what else did you used to do? i was a repo man great you're gonna be the repo man what'd you used to do uh well i was i was taylor made terry taylor you're gonna be the red rooster what the f <laughs> wait <laughs> <laughs> so dean douglas yeah uh, shane douglas becomes dean douglas He's a college professor, and he's always giving lessons, and his, his music was scratching a chalkboard. Okay. That was his entrance right, music. You know? Yeah. I mean, thematically, I, it makes kind of sense. I guess. He's uh, a bad guy, and he'd always tell the good guys what they were doing wrong on this chalkboard. I firmly believe that his promos were what inspired the same dumb shit with Glenn Beck and his stupid lessons with the chalkboards. It's the exact same thing. Oh God! I pro oh. wrestling man, pro wrestling. Oh, oh, God! Mm -hmm. Really? I think so. I will show you a promo when we're done recording this, and you'll oh, tell me. Oh Jesus! But yes, he was a mid Carter. That's, okay, you know, uh, and he he got... has a lot to answer for. Yeah, he does. I'm just saying. Yeah, because <laughs> so he's a mid Carter who was buried by other wrestlers during his run, which outside of ECW was his most memorable run. But his first ECW run was really the thing I want to hone in on here. So, or home in on. So Todd Gordon and Jim Crockett and Paul Heyman convinces Shane Douglas to win the NWA championship belt and then to shit all over it in a promo. Now, oh. Shane Douglas had been trained by a traditionalist. He himself was a traditionalist. This is not how you do business. But they explained, and he said, like, look, he's like, I don't I don't think this is a good idea. And they said, no, 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 take a look. The only people it's going to piss off are wrestling purists, and this will be how you get notoriety. And the wrestling purists don't matter anyway because most of the fans aren't those anymore. Okay. And Douglas frankly didn't like Coraluzo anyway because the two of them had a dispute over when he was booked in NWA territories as it was. So after he won the tournament and he was presented with the NWA title, the same title that Lou Fez had held, the prestigious and historical belt, he threw it down and said the following. And I don't have his voice, so I'm not going to, he would talk like this and, <laughs> you know, 
You could look it up. But he says, in the tradition of Luthez, in the tradition of Jack Briscoe, of the Briscoe brothers, of Dory Funk Jr., of Terry Funk, the man who will never die, as the real nature boy, Buddy Rogers, upstairs tonight, from the Harley races to the Barry Windhams to the Rec Flares, I accept this heavyweight title. Wait a second. Of Kerry Von Erich. Of the fat man himself, Dusty Rhodes. This is it tonight, Dad. God, that's beautiful. And Rick Steamboat. And they can all kiss my ass. And then he threw it down. So he names all of these. Yeah. Big, legendary, you know, figures. And then he says, because I am not the man who accepts a torch to be handed down to me from an organization that died, rest in peace, seven years ago. The franchise, he points to himself, Shane Douglas, is the man who ignites the new flame of the sport of professional wrestling. And at this point, he takes out the ECW title. Tonight, before God of my, and my father as witness, I declare myself the franchise as the new ECW heavyweight champion of the world. We have set out to change the face of professional wrestling. So tonight, let the new era begin. The era of the sport of professional wrestling. The era of the franchise. The era of the ECW. Now, this is a huge hit in Philadelphia. And Philly is the only place this could have played so well. It, yeah, I mean, it, it, it is gobsmacking. He is shitting on all the traditions. Wow. Which the thing is, like, wrestling pretends to love its traditions, but it's inherently self-cannibalized. Well, yeah. It's a carny. But <clears throat> he called it what it was, and that's a no-no, you know? Yeah, well, it's kind of a violation of kayfabe. Right. And... It's like a meta violation of yeah. kayfabe. And okay. look what he's doing. He is chaotic, and he's throwing down order. We come right back to that. Uh, oh, right, way. right, yeah. Coraluzo, yeah, yeah. the head of the NWA, the old traditional head of the NWA, yeah. is most tone deaf of had tone deafness. No, instead, it, that would have been better. Uh, after the <laughs> event was over, he said in an interview that Douglas couldn't refuse the NWA belt and was the, the champion of the NWA, quote, whether he likes it or not. And then he said that he was going to move to have Douglas stripped of both the NWA World Championship and the Eastern Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Championship, calling him undeserving of both titles. Okay, Talk so, about he, your... so he's playing right into the yes. hands of, of like, like, do we, do we, do, do we know for sure that this wasn't this like... was not a work from Coraluzo? Coraluzo got worked. This was not a work. This was a shoot. He straight up was like, how dare you besmirch? Really? Yeah, because look at all he the shit didn't, that he did. He yeah. didn't see. He was not in on it. Well, I mean, whether he was in on it or not, he didn't He didn't read the situation. No. No, he didn't. Because he's an old-timey promoter. Okay. And there, you know. So the next night, Todd Gordon says, quote, Wow. I listened with great interest as a representative of the NWA Board of Directors. <laughs> when they get himself. formal, yes. it, like, you know, you know, it's going to get ugly. Yeah. Took okay. it upon himself to inform you that they have the power to force NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling to not recognize the franchise, Shane Douglas, as a world heavyweight champion. Well, as of noon today, I have folded NWA Eastern Championship Wrestling. In its place will be ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, and we recognize the franchise Shane Douglas as our world heavyweight champion, and we encourage any wrestler in the world today to come to ECW to challenge for that belt, 
This is the ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, changing the face of professional wrestling. Holy shit. ECW declared itself on the corpse of the NWA, and you have two forces pulling in wrestling, old school versus new school. Wow. Okay. Now, here's where it gets weird, right? So this is Oh, like because it hasn't been biggest, weird at all well, I mean, until you, now. You can kind of see iconoclasm as being a, a yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, okay? yeah, 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 and yeah, yeah. This, the old, the old, I mean, shit, you know, when you watch uh, uh, Godfather Part 3, which I think came out right around the same time, he even says, the, the young try to replace the old. That's the natural yeah, order of things. Yeah, yeah. It's a 90s version of it, but yeah, it okay. is. You yeah, know. no, that makes sense. But WWF and WCW were pretending to do this in their organizations anyway. But they weren't really leaving the old school behind. Remember, the WWF was doing the new generation. Thing, yeah. And they were using the... traditionalists to be the new generation. They were trying to grasp that new extreme idea without really knowing how to grasp it. Whereas ECW stood out and declared itself and basically did as postmodernists do. Yeah. Uh, we reject the old way. This yeah. is a new thing. Yeah. Now, wrestling rings are an interesting piece of architecture, I think. They're square. Yeah. Most of them. Uh, they're usually 20 by 20 or 18 by 18. They have four corners. Uh, they have stairs. You walk up to get into them, and they, and, and they have uh, three turnbuckles. Uh, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, on each corner. On each corner. They're icons of order. Yes. And tradition, right? They literally have a canvas on the mat. Yes. So okay. artists, right? And this is where wrestlers tell their stories to the vulgar masses. Yeah. This is the place where everyone's attention is fixed in an arena, watching oversized men making oversized moves and, and reacting with oversized expressions. Sparkly murder gymnastics. Yes. All yes. with a predetermined outcome. It okay. is a beautiful it's, vulgarity. It's it's theater. Yeah. Okay. The, the ropes contain the action. The corners contain the ropes. The ropes and the corners are softer than the mat, but they are used to inflict great injury. Some wrestlers use them to launch themselves at other wrestlers. Yes. There are four ways to win in a wrestling match. Now, it used to be that if you jumped off the top rope, you would be disqualified, by the way. Oh, really? That was a normal thing oh, up wow. through the early 90s. Okay. Then they did away with it because more and more high flying. The Japanese style was in the yeah, commercial. Yeah, yeah. But you can pin your opponent. That's way number one. Or right. you could make your opponent submit. That's way number two. Now, both of these must occur within the confines of the ring itself. Okay. Your opponent could get caught cheating and get disqualified any number of ways. Okay. Or your co opponent could end up outside of the ring. Though, if you throw him out over the top rope into the 1990s, that would also disqualify you. Such was the danger. Okay. That's why battle royale or battle royals were such a big deal because you have to throw them out over the top rope. They're extra dangerous that way. Okay. All right. Really, yeah. they're extra dangerous because uh, anybody could fall and roll your ankle. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. So you he would be counted out. Usually it'd be a ten count, but in some organizations it was a faster twenty count. Okay. Just kind of depended, but that's it. That's 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 how you win in wrestling. Okay. Okay. The ring represents the social contract. Okay. The willingness of good guys and bad guys to agree to a literally leveled playing field. Victory is always held in the ring. Bookers would restrict trips outside of the ring very carefully. The first few matches of a card, we've talked about this, would never leave the ring. Yeah, don't blood, ever leave the ring. No right. blood. No blood. Yeah. Disqualifications were exceedingly rare in the first few matches, too. 
You okay. show people how it's supposed to be with the first few matches. Okay. You get them excited. Now, as the night wears on, cheating may happen more. A good guy may be thrown out of the ring. The bad guy will stay in the ring, hoping to score an effortless victory at a time, using the rules to his advantage. Okay. The bad guy might retreat to the outside of the ring. A cowardly, cowardly chance to regroup in a cunning fashion mm. uh, to gain a rest that he otherwise wouldn't have gained. Still, the action happens inside the ring. Right. Now, later in the night, blood may spill if it's a grudge match or if it's an especially grueling contest. Blood adds to the story. Don't spill it too soon. And if you do, you lose the magic. Blood is not for every card. Okay. In ECW, all of that goes out the fucking window. <laughs> Okay. And I think it was specifically the Philadelphianess of the audience. Okay. And when Paul Heyman bought out Todd Gordon and he has full control of ECW, he was able to turn the heat up on all those shows. From beginning to end, the entire thing was spilling outside of the ring, outside of tradition, and out of the public imagination. ECW gained TV syndication in 93 and started doing pay per views four years later. But in those four years, between the beginning of TV and the beginning of the pay-per-views, there was a deep dive, and I mean it literally, into the chaos. Matches went all over the arena. The fans ate it up. Matches began going into the crowd. The crowd would go apeshit. The crowd would start chanting for people. You know, they ACW, ECW. Or they'd start chanting like, holy shit, holy shit. <laughs> because it's Philly. Philly. <laughs> or, my favorite, you fucked up. You, you fucked, fucked up. up. <laughs> Okay, so yeah. so I want to I want to go back for a second to to the way the way the structure is supposed to work. Yes. Okay. There was there was a, a fascinating thing I read mm -hmm. several years ago uh, that that was an anthropological study mm -hmm. of of magic and religion. Okay. And one of the central points that was involved. <clears throat> was the idea that in any religion, every religion has rituals. Right. And within any religion, if you look hard enough, you can find the ritual that is the core ritual from which all of the others gained their legitimacy. Yes. That would be so, the pinfall in wrestling. So in, yeah. So in, mm -hmm. in Christianity, yes. that's, that's communion. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Makes that sense. is that is the central rite of Christianity. It is it is the central promise, the central sure. issue. It is the the ritual. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's no yeah. better way to put it. It yeah. is the ritual. Yeah. And and that is what then provides the 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 imprimatur of legitimacy on everything else that happens within mm -hmm. the church. Mm -hmm. Um, the the author of the paper, of course, didn't didn't apply it to Christianity because they were talking about you others know, yeah. other 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 religious traditions sure, sure. but that's i was going through our cia at the time and so i immediately you know made that connection yeah, I was like yeah. oh okay well this makes sense so so those first few matches of a card yes were that ritual yes establishing the legitimacy of this is the sport the reminder to the crowd. These are the rules. This is the Catholic in me. I'm looking yes. at this and I'm seeing the order of the mass. Yes. This is 
this this is what brings us here together today. Yes. This is the sport we're all here to see. Yeah. And then everything else we do here is the theater, the catharsis, the yes. blood of Christ, right. the, the, the bloodletting, the bloodletting, stations of the cross, stations of the cross. Yes. yes. You don't start oh, with you know, the flogging yeah. and the whipping until, until you're Baptist. You get yeah. to Pentecostalism. Right. <laughs> and then you start with that. And then you and then it's like, no, 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 we get the snakes out now. <laughs> yeah. Like we st- like you start with the snakes. We're starting we're st- yeah, yeah we, go big or go home. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um yes. so yeah, that that So the crowd like, goes that that leapt at me yes. when you're talking about that. Yeah, so, and okay. the crowd goes apeshit for all of this. Okay. Again, speaking in tongues. Yeah, I mean you they're know. going into the crowd. You don't go into <laughs> the crowd. There are safe zones marked off by basically metal bicycle racks, right? Yeah, yeah. They're diving over them. Oh yeah. Fans are getting hit and they don't mind. <laughs> they love it. To the point where the story in the match is not a story. The violence is the story. Speaking of your Pentecostals and your Yeah, charms, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then shit got wild. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay have you ever been to hockey rocky horror picture show no but me i either, i am either. i am i am i am adjacent to a yes, number of people I have plenty of friends so, who I, did. so i know i know it of is it it is a staged event right yes. oh, it yeah. is the most postmodern thing i have ever heard of <laughs> think about it it is it is immensely meta yes because think about it you have a script and everybody in the audience willingly and actively participates in the script pretending at the chaos but there is a total breakdown between the stage and the audience and yet everybody behaves according to the script well yes audiences throw things at appropriate times yes at rocky horror rice at one point one friend of mine actually said that she got home so late that she fell asleep and went right you know fell right to sleep um when she woke up the next morning she got undressed to get in the shower and rice fell everywhere (laughs) and it was only then (laughs) that she'd remembered that she'd gone to the rocky horror picture show that night Oh, right. Because, yeah. right. because the ritual. Exactly. Again. Yeah. Why does my know. mouth taste like bread and wine? Yeah. Yeah. What a... Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I went to okay. mass yeah. last night. Yeah. Yeah. Only... Yeah. But... but it's the same idea. Like, like yeah. what, what the hell? Yeah. The... the Why is my dad dead? Oh, right. Because we went to see snakes. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, the... 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 What, what this... What this brings up to me... Uh-huh what it what it kind of kind of drives home is as monkeys mm-hmm. like as primates yes there is a very deep <laughs> part of us yes. that craves ritual yes we do and 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 i find it funny mm-hmm. that we will make them up about literally anything All of the in things. order to get effects yes and for all of their intelligence, insight, whatever, mm-hmm. marks mm-hmm. and and uh, angles uh, or Smith, uh, Trotsky? no, uh, Lenin, okay, Lenin and Trotsky, like they didn't figure out the central importance of that. The, the the whole idea of religion is the opiate of the masses, and like, no, right, we got right, right. we got to do it. Okay, look, cool, yeah. I get where you're coming from there. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't agree with it, but I, I understand the thought process behind that. But, like, have you looked at your fellow primates? Right. Well, and, and this you know, is, I'm going to sound really fucked up for just a second. Okay. This is what Hitler got right. 
Okay. Was his use of Catholic ritual while displacing the Catholics. Oh, yeah. You know, his use of religiosity while creating genocide. Yeah. The Nuremberg rallies were just rife with ritual. He would, you know, go and lay a wreath where his friends in the beer hall pooch had gotten killed, like annually. Ritual, oh, yeah. ritual, 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 ritual. ritual. The, the problem with being yeah. an iconoclast is that unless you have a ritual, one will spring up. Oh, yeah. And ECW was the same way. Okay. Audience members became regulars because it was almost always the same venue. Okay. And they had a, quote, they had a bring your own weapons match where fans were explicitly encouraged to bring random objects to the ECW arena so that the wrestlers would use them in their matches. And these fans, ruthlessly loyal to ECW, would bring all sorts of objects. Here's a list. One fan brought a kayak. (laughs) Other things that were brought. Vinyl records. That kind of makes sense. It'll shatter, right? Cheese graters. Fuck me! (laughs) Yes. Bowling pins. Okay. VCRs. Okay. And most infamously, the cast iron skillet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't understand how the cast iron skillet is the most infamous when you mentioned a cheese grater. Because. Dong, oh, okay. Like, the, yeah. Okay. The theatricality of it. Okay. So now but, any one of these items God, the, should have been a disqualification, but no, because it's ECW. And since it's Philly, they had shirts made said ECFNW. Of course. Now, this does not speak anything to the liberal use of chairs, the balcony in the venue. What? what table? Yes. Okay, okay. They would stack up tables and jump off a 30-foot balcony. In fact, as of this recording, one of the most famous guys, his name is New Jack, and I'll probably talk about him in, a, uh, in the next episode. He died today. Um, he was in his 50s. He died okay. way too young. But, oh, my God, that guy is chaos incarnate. Um, whew, go look him up. Just okay. look up the mass transit incident alone. It's you should never yeah. have the a, mass transit yes. incident. You should never have a pro wrestler who has three justifiable homicides on his record. I'm just saying out loud these things. Yeah. What he the would actual yeah. fuck. Yeah, and he would jump off of. Oh God. He, so he was he worked for uh, Jim Cornette, one of my favorite guys in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And he was part of, I think they were called the Gangstas. So two black guys in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Going right. to be the bad guys. Yeah. And he, during one of his promos, again, this is one I can show you between the shows. Um, during one of his promos, he says, I just want to give a shout out to OJ. That's two down. We got a whole lot more to go, baby. Like he said this on TV and you should see Bob Cottle just like, what the <laughs> fuck? It's so fun. <laughs> Holy shit, right? <laughs> So anyway, New Jack would oh dive God. off the balcony onto people who were on stacks of chairs, um, tables. A 30-foot yeah. balcony. Yeah, stacks of tables, pardon me. But yes, they would use barbed wire. One time, the ropes were barbed wire. They would use what? metal spikes. They would use kendo sticks. They would use all this stuff. Now, perhaps the most two telling instances, and I'm going to leave with these two stories, and we'll start up the next episode uh, after that. The most two telling instances, you are so horrified, of how... I, I how, can't even speak. Like, oh my God. Of how acceptably chaotic ECW promotions were. Yeah. Are the Al Snow head incident. 
and the chair incident. Okay. So we're going to take them in reverse order. Let's talk about the chair incident. Now, you, okay. you look like you got something you got to say. I, just the fact that these have been codified with yes. the name the blank incident. Yes. Like, there's a trope. Yeah. On TV tropes. That's, that's I mean, the, the, one, the one I'm borrowing from is the spaghetti incident. Uh-huh. Which is taken from the, the Guns N' Roses yeah, yeah, yeah. title. And you never find out what the spaghetti incident actually was. But uh-huh. it's it's the blank incident sure and and in in the trope it's you know the characters talk about this thing that clearly was a big deal it's something awful happened or mm-hmm. some big you know thing and then you never learn what it is right right and and like these sound like oh no spaghetti they... incidents but i know they're not yeah they're on video tape, and i'm like... and i'm horrified as you should be just like by the thought yes. i'm scared yes okay okay so the chair incident yeah. happened in 1994 at okay. Hardcore Heaven. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't okay. a pay-per-view, very, but it was. Very, a, yeah. very 90s. Okay. Now, during the main event between Terry Funk, who was the former NWA champion from the 70s. Mentioned by, mentioned our, by, Shane, Douglas. by, by yeah. Shane Douglas now, in his speech. To okay. know Terry Funk, Terry Funk is the only other brother. So there, there was two brothers who had both been NWA champions. The other one was Dory Funk Jr., Dory Funk Jr. got the title, then he lost it to somebody, and then eventually Terry Funk takes it up. Uh, Dory Funk Jr.'s dad, Dory Funk, okay, yeah, okay. had been a wrestler, uh, died of a heart attack uh, at a young age. Um, so he had two sons who went into the business. Dory Funk was a very much a technical traditionalist, okay. and Terry Funk was a brawler, and he was a mean-ass heel, nasty heel. Uh, okay. In the 70s, he was, the, he was a big deal. Uh, he had radically reinvented himself as quote middle aged and crazy by this point. Okay, and so perfect yeah. for this particular promotion. Matter of okay. fact, yes. Right. And uh, so it was a match between Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. You know him as McFoley. Yeah. Okay. And frankly, during the whole card, starting in the third match, they made very liberal use of steel folding chairs. During the main event, there was a a, a tag team named Public Enemy, both of whom are dead now. Um, uh, they brought their own tables to the ring normally. Wow. They interfered with the match, making it a no contest. And here's the thing. You're supposed to fucking end a match with an actual decision, but an ECW didn't matter, right? Yeah. So they interfered with the match. And after that ruling came down, Public Enemy continued to beat down Cactus Jack. Terry Funk decided, I'm going to come to his rescue. Now, the two of these guys, Terry Funk and Cactus Jack, had had wars over in Japan called death matches well yeah where actual explosions happened and actual like strangling people with barbed wire happened and shit like that yeah, a, re- a real fight masquerading as a as, yeah, a, yeah. as a wrestling match but yeah. like a bloodbath okay? okay so uh terry funk comes to his rescue and the two start beating public enemy back and then it got all ecwe <laughs> terry funk asked a fan for his chair leaned okay. down over the ropes give me a chair the fan tossed it up to him across the guardrail, which is what keeps fans back across the uh, the apron into yeah. the ring. So we're breaking so many conventions here. Oh, yeah. Then more fans start throwing more chairs. Then more and more and more until Public Enemy was literally buried under chairs. It's insane. The the Wow. Yes. What? Okay. 
Now, this next incident was a series of incidents incidents in 1997 buried and 1998. Yeah, buried them so, so what we're saying here is yeah. the crowd at an ECW match was basically a barely contained riot. Yes. Waiting it, waiting well, to happen. It was an appropriately timed, timed yes, interactive okay, experience okay. that followed a script. Okay. Yeah. And occasionally went wildly off the rails because... But never off script. Because the violence was the story. It was the story. Okay, yes. So, very postmodern. Now, yeah. the next one I'm going to talk about, uh, this happened between 97 and 98, and it's it's in the full throes of chaos for ECW, right? ECW would hand out styrofoam heads to the audience because there was a... <laughs> Here's why. Okay. Al Snow, was he's an incredible wrestler. I love him. Uh, Al okay. Snow um, had a mannequin head. And he wrote the words, help me, backwards on the mannequin's head. Okay. okay. A woman's head. And it was almost okay. always a brunette. And it said, help me. And then he wrote, help me, forwards on his forehead. So they were matchy, right? Okay. And then he'd come out and she'd be giving him advice. Okay. Okay. So Al Snow would come out to Prodigy Music, carrying his own mannequin head and dancing with it. And dancing like you would at a rave, because that's what he was turning it into. And everyone else would raise their heads in the air, their their own uh, styrofoam heads in the air, and they would headbang in tune with Al Snow's head. Okay. And they'd all shout, head, 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 Okay. Now, when he gets to WWF, he keeps this gimmick, and his, his theme song is, it starts with him shouting, what does everybody want? And the whole crowd would shout, head, what does everybody lead? The whole crowd would shout, head, what does everybody want? Uh, head head oh my god now he'd get in the ring and the fans he'd you know he'd do this little dance and he'd you know be shaking it and then he'd do this he'd wave in and all the heads the whole audience would give him head oh my god okay that was before the match okay now think about what these ropes represent what the ring represents yeah 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 And yeah. look at how Rocky Horror postmodern embracing oh, yeah. this chaos of the mid-90s is. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, of course, Vince McMahon smells money as early as 1994. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is his talent. Yes. That, like a shark in the ocean. He can smell a dollar from yes. a thousand miles away. So, okay. I think this is a good place to end it. We will pick back up in 1994 at WCW in Baltimore. Okay. Uh, I believe it's Baltimore. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, wow. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Like here, here's what I recommend everybody do. Uh, I'm not going to okay. give a book recommendation. I'm going to give okay. a recommendation that you, you go onto your YouTube machines and you type in new Jack vice V I C E. Okay. And up will pop a documentary on new Jack. Okay. Watch it because it's, it's astounding. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's my recommendation. Okay. I'm not even going to ask you what you gleaned because you are so gobsmacked right like, now. Like, what the holy hell? Okay, yeah. <laughs> so if you have a book recommendation, we'll take it. Otherwise, we'll just uh, Okay, yeah. No, I do, yeah. I do. I do have a book recommendation. Let's do it. Um, I am going to recommend that anybody who is a regular listener to this podcast. We love you. Uh, yes, we, we love you so much. Um, I recommend very strongly you go out and you find yourself a copy of Dune, mm. the first novel. Okay. Only the first novel because okay. that's going to be work enough on its own. 
Um, and because because when when we get done with with this saga, um, that's going to be the next thing that I'm going to be teaching Damien about. And um, there is so much going on in that book. Uh, and it really, I mean, it's a classic of the genre. It really is a seminal work in a whole bunch of different ways. And to to prepare for that mm-hmm. discussion, I highly recommend you go out and read the book. Uh, you can you can also certainly watch the '80s uh, David Lynch film. Oh, good. Okay. Um, but but I'm going to be focusing on the book. Okay. For for those episodes that we're going to be talking about it, uh, and another time I'll do a comparison between the book and the movie, just because again, there's so much going on. Sure. In the book that. Okay. Yeah, so go that's that's Dune. my go read Dune. Okay, it'll it'll take some time, so that's probably going to be my recommendation at the end of the next. You're going to have it too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So there okay. you go. Cool. Well, uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? <clears throat> they can find me on the interwebs at e h blaylock on Twitter, and uh, Mr. Blaylock on uh, the Insta and on uh, TikTok. And uh, where can they find you? Uh, well, you can find me, uh, as, as usual on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns, uh, every Tuesday night, although we are shortening our schedule, um, by the time this drops, uh, the next episode that you'll see of capital punishment will be June 1st. Okay. We're going to go back to a monthly thing. Although if you want to watch that channel and watch us play games, feel free. We're playing games on that channel. Uh, also if you go onto the YouTubes and you type in MSF excelsior gaming uh you'll probably find my uh collaboration with ian mcdonald yes uh which is a lot of fun we talk about uh, marvel strike force <clears throat> uh the other place you can find me is at duh harmony on the twitter and the insta and that should be more than enough yes yeah so and of course if you want to uh point out some some error in our in our reporting of of the historical events or the uh, popular culture geekness of what we're talking about. You can find us collectively at Geek History Time on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by all means, if we've gotten something wrong, seriously correct us. Let us know because uh, you know that's part of what this is about. Uh, and otherwise, uh, for a Geek History of Time, I'm Ed Blaylock, and I'm Damian Harmony. And until next time, keep rolling twenties.